welcome to the greatest story ever told, the Dad and Sons Podcast, colon, the Bunny Hop Podcast. My name is George Reedman, and I'll be assisting you for the next hour or two while we talk about video games, movies, and the downward spiral of society and technology, because apparently that's what counts for entertainment these days. I am some award-winning YouTuber. What awards? D- D- George Weedman. I am I am Matt introduces himself in brackets. I'm <laughs> <laughs> nice to meet you, Matt introduces himself in brackets. I'm some award-winning podcaster who regularly helps award some award-winning YouTuber. Liam introduces himself in brackets. Have I been exposed just now? <laughs> now that everyone knows that I put chunks in the outline where people introduce themselves with brackets, the show's up. There's no more magic to it. There's no more podcast magic. People are going to know the tricks behind the studio. George, we, we're very transparent here on the Dad and Sons colon it's podcast. a little bit too transparent, podcast. if I might add. <laughs> <laughs> we even involve the audience in helping Matt find an apartment. We are as transparent <laughs> as it gets. It's what the people demand. I'm pretty sure another one of those episodes are going to be coming <laughs> in the coming months. Oh, we get the sequel. We get the sequel. The sequel. <laughs> LA edition. The apartment sequel featuring a second naked man. If you thought there were some like weird people in Atlanta striking weird deals for apartments, wait. Ooh, I bet when you get to LA, you're going to find some like genuine uh, uh, deal strikers, so to speak. Wheelers and dealers. Uh, oh people oh who, who will offer you all sorts of um, favors <laughs> in exchange for cheaper rent. What are you talking about, George? Uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm George Weedman. I don't know what I'm talking about. Hello! <laughs> <laughs> what have we been playing this week? Have you been roasting um, up some monsters? Can I, can I, jump, can I jump in? While I'm still yeah, thinking oh, about yeah, sure, we, sure. we got we got things. So mm-hmm. I've been I've been on a binge of a very similar genre because we've had a week where three Metroidvania yes Metroidvanias games that play like Metroid and also don't play like Metroid uh, and Castlevania at the same time have come out. We've had really? Chasm, yay, which launched on PS4 and PlayStation Vita. We have Iconoclasts, which released earlier this year, but it came out on the Switch. It's, 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 it's good. Go get it. It's good. It's good. Which I've been playing. And then today, Dead Cells was released out of Alpha, Early Access, or whatever it was in, on Switch, yeah. PlayStation 4, and PC, and whatever other places. So I've been playing all three of them. Wow. And I think they all highlight certain things about where where we are with these types of games and why we get so many of these metroidvania roguelike things and also uh, something i've been thinking about about procedural generation you know guys you know that that hot ticket that every indie game has to have at the moment yeah procedurally generated levels and stuff and how for games like that call themselves Metroidvanias, how doing procedural generation is like the antithesis of a Metroidvania. Oh. How, how do you feel about that? Well, I'll get into that later. Okay, so what's the... the so, okay, let's is start it a with, problem or a, yeah, just a, a weird quirk? No, I think, it's, I think it's a problem. So let's start with Chasm, for example, because it all sort of leads into talking about Iconoclast, which is a game Matt has played previously and yeah. talked about on the show as well. 
Kazum came out, took five years to develop, looks really nice, has really nice presentation, has lots of nice options in it. Um, and the big selling point of Chasm is it's like a Metroidvania, but it procedurally generates levels based on designed levels prior. Like they've crafted certain game world rules or something similar to that where they have to have certain amounts of stuff, but then everything is procedurally generated. So every time you play the game, it's different, but you actually go through the whole story. You can save the game. It isn't something like Rogue Legacy where it you know changes every time you die if you choose or something like that. It stays the same and you wake up at your save point and you carry on through that. It's just that if you complete the game, the next time you play it, it will be like a different run. So the problem with this, which leads into also Dead Cells too a little bit, is that if you're going to have a, a game like Metroid or Castlevania, for example, you can't do procedural generation. It's not cheating, but it makes your game way cheaper in terms of what it could be. Because just generating things and procedurally generating things based on rules means you don't have these handcrafted level designed experience by experienced level designers that made games like Super Metroid and Castlevania Symphony and uh, Symphony of the Night and um, Dawn of Sorrow and stuff like that. These finely tuned, perfect levels that are designed for the player to experience, that have been designed by some of the best game creators imaginable for the player to experience, and then have like a procedurally generated game, which is why games like Chasm, if I'm 100% honest, are really fucking tedious. And like Chasm looks really nice. I, I guess with the procedural generation in place, they miss some deliberacy to yes. their pacing. And it's not even that. It just kills all sense of, like, craft to it, I think. Oh. like. And what about, like, immersion and world building? Because I remember that was my favorite thing about Metroidvania growing up. It's like... the same thing because because of the, the generation of rules. It isn't, it, it isn't like games like Downwell and Spelunky where procedural generation is to challenge the player it's to change the way the world looks to give the player a challenge that's the whole point of those games whereas in a game like chasm where you're meant to be backtracking oh and you're meant to be searching every room to look for stuff. oh yeah that changes everything backtracking through a procedural generated level probably feels really dumb sometimes yeah because you do there's like games are meant to give you a sense of place and you're meant to get used to things like randoming enemies and randoming position of them is fine because enemies move, you know, characters move. That's the whole point. People move in a place. But the place that you're surrounded by is meant to feel like somewhere that you get used to. You get to know its design, so it makes you go through it faster. It makes it feel like you're learning as the player. But with procedurally generated places, one, they feel quite empty because they're procedurally generated. So sometimes it just seems like empty rooms from nothing. And the layout may be a little weird, like why is this higher than this and this doesn't make sense i'm like it's a little tedious compared to like a handcrafted experience and dead cells is also a little like this but then dead cells has like fucking amazing combat and like really good options to customize the character to customize the players and has like really challenging enemies and stuff that is crafted like the enemies in dead cells are crafted and the way you progress as the character is crafted but with chasm there's like none of that there's the same enemies, like I've played maybe five or six hours of Chasm, and, and like through the first two levels, I maybe came across five or six maximum enemy varieties, and that's it. Like the same lizard men who dive at you, the same goblins with spears, the same bats that come down, 
I had the same freaking complaint about Breath of the Wild, that the enemies were real generic humanoids because they gotta adapt to all sorts of weird blobby level design. But the difference is that game makes up for it in a sense of place, right? Chasm is failing mm-hmm. on the sense of place. <laughs> it's it's failing on the world building because you're stuck in a mine. There's like nothing going on. You're stuck in a chasm, unfortunately. And the enemies are the same enemies all the time. And because there's no like de- in-depth customization or like variety going on to the extent of like a game like Dead Cells, which can get away with procedural generation and also randoming enemies and stuff. It doesn't have anything that you're like kind of looking forward to. You're just going through it because you've got the game and you're just going through it. And then you compare it to a game like Iconoclasts, which has come out. You know, it's taking Cognac 12 years to make this game or whatever. But it is a perfectly perfect crafted experience that truly is like a metroidvania it's perfectly paced it gives the player new abilities and new stuff all the time at a perfect pace and the levels and the backtracking are the type that not to the extent of like dark souls when you go through a place and then it folds back in on itself and you realize where you are and then you open like a door to a previous area and then it all interconnects and you get that sense of completion and also Mm -hmm. feel like you know the place well it gives you that on a a little bit of a lower extent like you will go through a place and you'll dig through a tunnel or something and then you'll go up a hill and then you'll realize oh like I'm near where I started like I have come back on myself and I've explored the whole area and the map has become clear and I understand this area like if I go here I'll find this if I go here I can use this tool that I couldn't use before so I can open these new areas like the sense of place in Iconoclast is like perfect it's like finely tuned 12 years of design and craft to get those levels right and like it's not a perfect game by any means but it's a damn fucking well designed one compared to a game like Chasm which just relies on procedural generation to just make up levels so they don't have to like craft these experiences it relies so heavily on procedural generation that it's like cheating almost (laughs) a little bit and it just feels empty compared to a game like iconoclasts and then dead cells kind of just like gets away with it because it has really good other things like breath of the wild has really good world compared to its combat and its enemies dead cells has a really good combat system and boss battles and enemy design and enemy variety and uh, items and like power-ups like Dead Cells is winning in a different area so that kind of makes it okay because you don't really mind because you're looking for these things whereas Kazim you're not really looking for anything and it just sort of shows why we're in this weird state where too many people too many game designers are relying on procedural generation and now it's getting to the point where games like Spelunky which used it to its advantage to craft challenging experiences now you have game designers just using it because it's kind of the done thing, the easy thing to do right now to create a set of rules and just procedurally generate stuff so you don't have to craft levels, which is a really, really hard thing to do. I don't know, like, Matt, you've played Dead Cells and Iconoclasts, right? Yeah. Like, you kind of know what I'm talking about, I hope. Yeah. Yeah. Not, not Chasm, though. Chasm looked boring to me. I didn't try it. Exactly. Yeah, I looked at it. I was like, nah, not my thing. God damn it, man. Back in like 2013, when I was like young and pretty, 
I I I got a uh, <laughs> super duper cheap the cheapest plane ticket I could find to California was still something like like two hundred seventy five dollars and Oof. and went to my very first GDC all by myself stayed at the youth hostel with like. Uh, 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 travelers from from all across the world who didn't have money to pay on accommodations. I I split a room with a bunch of strangers and ate junk food. And Chasm was one of the very first games I previewed with like a hands-on build at an event, and that was two thousand and yeah, no, no, thirteen. It would have been early spring twenty thirteen around March. Like less than six months, I think, after starting the channel, it breaks my heart to see them go through so much after so many years in their game not get get like stellar record recommendations. Ah, what if that happens to us someday? Yeah. I just think like I just think Chasm is incredibly mediocre and for easily avoidable reasons. Like, it's gorgeous to look at, and it plays quite nicely. I think there are some... Like, if you compare it to games like Dead Cells, where Dead Cells has, like, immense game feel. Like, the controls and the way the character feels is really, really yeah, responsive. Mean, Chasm doesn't have that. <laughs> Dead Cells just comes out of nowhere and steals the spotlight completely. I mean, well, Dead it's Cells, been in the spotlight for yeah, a while, though. Dead Cells like, has been something people have been linking forward to for a long while, I think. So, it's... You know, and man, it's, has it gone through some growing pain? Seven yeah. years. Seven years for, for Chasm, at least. Might have been longer than that since that's just when I first crossed paths with it. It was seven years, almost seven years ago. Yeah, this Oof. is the weird thing, you know? Like, these games, have, like, Iconoclast took Cognac, what, 10 to 12 years. He's been doing it since Noid Love was released. He nearly killed himself doing it. It's a one-man project. But it's like, you can you can see and feel the craft like he is fine-tuned that not to talk about like the pixel art which is just fucking amazing as well yeah. but the experience is so finely tuned and at a, such a good pace and it truly does like i don't really like the term i don't think anyone really does about metroidvania but if you describe uh, a metroidvania like i think iconoclast is like one of the best examples of it I, I was about to ask, like, how, how do we feel about the term? It's weird, because, like, I don't know if you saw, like, Mark Brown, who does Game Maker's Toolkit, he recently released a video about the level design of Metroid. And then he was talking about games like Metroid. And he said something in a tweet about why people are having a go at him and not using the term Metroidvania. Because, you know, Castlevania games and Metroidvania, Metroid games are kind of similar, whereas... It's not true. The Castlevania games earlier than Symphony of Night, Dawn of Sorrow, Aria of the Moon... Uh, what is it? Dawn, Aria of Sorrow, Dawn of the Moon, Circle of the Moon... I forget. Like, the DS ones and the GBA ones. They were more like Metroid. Like, it changed the... Like, people forget that when Igarashi-san came in and worked on the, the Castlevania series with Symphony of Night, he changed the whole Castlevania formula. He made them like Metroid games. So when we talk about Metroidvania, we're talking about, like, the Castlevanias after Symphony of the Night. And I feel like if you say Igavania, you're getting a little too specific, but people... So there's there's a lot of Turbo fans who want that. Yeah, which is weird, because they are the ones that 
are the Metroid type ones that everyone's talking about when they say Metroidvania. Because the other Castlevania games were very linear experiences where you just keep s- scrolling sideways, going through the level up vertically or down and then going right. You very rarely backtracked in those games. It wasn't until like Symphony of the Night where you're exploring this whole castle that you were doing stuff like in Metroid where you would backtrack, get items, go to new areas that you couldn't explore prior, face bosses, Flip find secret bosses. Down. The castle would go upside down and then you do it again, right? So, yeah, the Egovanias are the Metroidvanias. And I'm okay with the term. I just think people have lost what it meant, which is what happens with everything. I think roguelike is the other thing, isn't it? Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. like Dead Cells is a roguelike too, as well as a Metroidvania. Like, I don't know. The thing is, like, both of those terms, regardless of their origins, have come into their own as specific enough subgenres that people know what you're talking about when you use those terms. Yeah. And I think that's what matters the most is is if you're communicating the message clearly for for what your language means in the present day. I think so too, and I think it's fine. Like People got <laughs> bored of using the term roguelike. Everyone was like, this game's a roguelike. It's, a, it's kind of like a roguelike. It's a roguelite. It's a roguelike. It's a rogue game. And the same has happened with the Metroidvania thing. And games like Chasm, Iconoclast, and Dead Cells fall in... Especially Iconoclast, I think, falls into the bracket of Metroidvania. Dead Cells is definitely more like a roguelike, but has a map. All three games have the same map system as games like Metroid. They have, you know, the box rooms in the top hand corner or on the map where you can't, you can, it is a box. You know, Hollow Knight does something different where it displays the whole map in front of you and it has like, it's like sketched out. Whereas these games, all three of them have boxes they are like metroid game box maps where it's just like a stacked boxes on top of each other that tell you the pathway in which you've come so they're all definitely wearing the inspiration on their sleeve but dead cells does stuff differently iconoclast is like a metroidvania as if it was made by like a japanese developer i think which is weird and also you know chasm story is boring as hell and i don't even really know what's happening Dead Cells oh, is a story. Yeah, exactly. Dead Cells is like you know whatever. <laughs> it's it's fine. It gives you a it's reason a, to progress. It's like a joke thing. On yeah, the like, it's, it's really not funny. There. Whereas Iconoclast has a really good ongoing story that's told in really sweet and good ways, similar to a Metroid game where you have these little segments of gameplay that pause for a brief period and have jokes and stuff, and it all has like a kind of dark undertone to it as well. Like, it has all the hallmarks of a Metroid game. And it's... I think it's, like, cool that we have all these games coming out at the same time. But I wish people would stop relying on procedural generation so much. Just, like, give us finely crafted experiences like Iconoclast, please. Please. And the best case scenario is I feel like whatever algorithm or formula or methodology they use to procedurally generate should resemble something handcrafted. Well, I think that's what they tried with Chasm. They, that's what they've said they've tried. Like, they designed the game and they designed the levels to be always certain ways, but then within inside the level there is, like, levels of procedural generation. So every time you play is meant to be different but they haven't done it well. There's there's very few examples I can think of. So much as just like the top two most popular one. I 
I, I think Minecraft and Terraria do it really well. Yeah, because those games mm. are like different universes where you use the terrain and the terrain changes all the time, right? You could make your own level designed to like correct for it too. Yeah, and it, in Dead Cells, it makes sense. You die, you respawn as something different. The, the whole world has changed since then. You know, in games like Spelunky, you know, you're spelunking through a cave. All these caves are different. It makes sense. And it's part of the game's challenge. Even in Rogue Legacy, you know, which is one of the games that started this whole procedural generation roguelike thing, it had a reason to be there. It was part of the game's challenge. It was like, you can choose to pay the costs of the of the stuff you get from the enemies. It incentivizes you to attack more enemies so that you gain coins so you can save the state of the castle you're going in. But then if you die, you lose that and you have to start again like almost like it's a new castle and a new character. It, there's a reason it's there and it helps the game. In Chasm, there is no reason at all for there to be procedural generation, other than it's kind of the now an interesting thing to do. Like, there is zero reason. Like, there's no story explanation as to why the world changes all the time. You know, it, it doesn't add to the story. <laughs> it doesn't add to the gameplay challenge whatsoever. It's the same weapons you get. It's the same enemies. Um, I don't know. I don't know why. It's just... Go by chasm. <laughs> do it. I mean, if you're playing... If you, if, what a like, glowing most review. Of the, you know, most of these games came out on the Switch this week. If you're going to play one of them, Iconoclast is the one I would recommend. Then Dead Cells. And then if you're bored, play Chasm, I guess. You can play lots of other Speaking things. Speaking of, of reviews of uh, Metroidvanias, <laughs> we'll be getting into one later. But in the meantime, Matt and I <laughs> actually have a funny story about procedural generation roguelikes. Uh, oh yeah! Yeah, remember, remember the that procedural generation roguelike we played. Is this the segments where you guys talk about playing games together like your best friends, and I'm the one who's left out again? Oh, oh, excuse me. You, you, you guys had some lonely time um, recording game bars. Okay, okay. Now it's time for me <laughs> and George to have a little, little friend time, right? A little love. Okay. Matt, when's well, our friend well, time? Why does George always have to be involved? Why can't we do things? <laughs> I know. Will you go to sleep as soon as this podcast ends? <laughs> I'm 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 moving I'm moving to California for a job, guys. Moving to yeah. California. I'm moving to California for a job. And then George wanted to he do He must a little, have lost his fucking mind. Hang out a couple times before I leave. A as, couple to, oh, as as good friends do yes. before big moves. We're we're gonna do way more hangouts this month than than, than we have ever done doing. this yeah, year. Yeah, <laughs> Ma- to make the most of it. So so we're gonna be playing a lot of multiplayer games that we're yes. probably gonna talk about on the podcast. Uh, and starting last week, we did a PSVR game called The Persistence. Yes. That's a procedurally generated roguelite. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but there's some pretty interesting gimmicks behind it. Um, they the the, the thing the, the thing that had me interested from the first part was it was a PSVR game that looked decent. Uh, but as I went through the uh, publisher's materials and in, in the code that I got, they mentioned a companion app. Uh, and I'm a big fan of controller gimmicks. And the companion app is a interactive map of the space station that the VR player is wandering around in. And whoever is using the companion app can can open doors. They can distract enemies, uh, uh, screw with the lights, and also uh, highlight objects for the player. And 
since the game itself is so dark and so claustrophobic in its level design and your field of view in the VR helmet is kind of narrow, the uh, cell phone player can also find enemies in the map and direct the player to them. Uh, combat is very, very weighty. You can't take a lot of hits. So what Matt was doing was directing me to the enemy's backside so that I could get the easy stealth kills. And it was really, really cool being like strapped in a helmet in a, in a dark, scary environment while a voice on the side of my ear was like, okay, now, now take the right corner, turn around. Wait, wait, wait. Okay. Okay, good, good. Now go. Yeah, yeah, you're on his backside. Good. It felt like a... Uh... <laughs> no, I can actually just imagine it as like Matt just being like, George, fucking go! <laughs> <laughs> there is a couple times that where that happened. There was a couple times because he was taking too long. But, um, <laughs> oh, I took so long? <laughs> In the beginning, I did not the like George this scream like, wah! Too much. <laughs> it took us a while to get used to it. Yeah, but, like but there's, I was there's in the some VR there. helmet first, and then George was guiding me around, and I was like, "Oh, this is okay. You know, this is this is a fun little game." And then George kept wanting to go at it. So when we swapped, <laughs> um, we it was like okay for the first runs. We died very early, like in the first couple of rooms, and then George wanted to do one more time. And we lasted a very long yeah, time. Yeah, you, we the just learning had like curve. a little rhythm going on after a while. Nice. You know, you go inside. The, so on the on my side, on the phone, you can search. A, a, well, you get upgrades when you kind of um, touch all the question marks, which identifies like what objects are on the floor or, or enemies are on the floor or anything yeah. like that. And you don't have you to both upgrade. be in the VR helmet, do you? Like, no. Oh, uh, no. Oh, no. Okay. The, the idea, in fact, is that it's asymmetrical if you're playing the multiplayer mode. I don't know how interesting this game would even be by yourself, but with a friend on the phone, it was a lot of good fun. Yeah, I would say that's the better way to play, to be mm-hmm. honest. It doesn't, um, like, display... Is there, like, a local mode where it displays on the TV for one person, and then you shout at the player in the VR headset oh. or something? Yeah, no, no, you you need to use the cell phone app. I yeah. don't remember a menu option for like, because um, Keep Talking and No One Explodes had that going on, where yeah, the, the yeah, thing on the screen that's was, what I thought it was yeah. completely well, different. Like a 3D map on yeah. phone. It's like a full 3D map. It's pretty interesting. The only thing is that there's a little bit of lag when it comes down to the enemies moving around. Might Especially be my when network. they're spawning really quickly. Might be my Comcast uh, Xfinity fun lag. Is that just Comcast like wanting to get George killed in the game? Maybe <laughs> your phone as well. Maybe I'll try my phone once I go, like, go over there. You know? Yeah, we're, we're, <laughs> I, I'd, I'd be down to give it another shot this week. Yeah, that, 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 that was cool. But like, uh, you can upgrade to freeze enemies, distract enemies. Mm-hmm. And help, which is yeah. really cool, because like when, once an enemy is like rushing at you, you can be like, "Oh God, oh God, Matt, Matt, can you freeze him? Freeze him, please!" Yeah. And oh, and and there's some uh, some rooms where the cell phone player is incentivized and given points to upgrade their abilities uh, if they screw with the player, if if they actually cause things to take the player take damage, which can I bet strategically be utilized. Okay, so imagine Matt a situation where. You know, the room flash is red. It wants you to to send things at me, but you give me a warning. And that gives you more points to upgrade you to help me out better in the next room if it temporarily makes it challenging. And the cell phone player can, like, egg that on. They, they can be 
Uh, they can either completely play it by the book and be a good person, or they could just fuck around with the VR player for shits and giggles, or fuck around with the VR player for, like, a strategic, high-risk, high-reward challenge bit, which yeah. I I really think there's a lot there that I want to check out later. I just think you only really get that kind of meat if you have the, the asymmetrical cell phone companion app game going at the same time. Yeah, I can close the door while you're trying to run away. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. It takes about um, a good four seconds for that door to open. <laughs> yeah, the, 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 the game is called The Persistence. I feel like I need to reiterate. It came out, I want to say about... Didn't it get pretty good reviews as well? Uh, okay, if I remember. I remember a lot of like middle to high sevens, but get a friend with you on the companion app and you can probably bump that up to a good like mid eight if not high eight for from like the hour and a half matt and i played at least yeah. wow booking my plane ticket to georgia now no oh, oh my god <laughs> now it's gonna have to be like california too oh hey it's sitting at a meta score of 80 right now that's not too bad <sighs> Matt, we'll find um, something. Should we touch on 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 basketball? Uh, it was it was interesting. It's a fun mm-hmm. robotic voice as the announcer. You... Uh, regular human basketball, for, for those wondering. I saw not the trailer just, for this. Not just actual basketball. Matt it and I intriguing. aren't that close yet. Yeah, you control a robot um, together or against each other. Um, <laughs> each each button controls a different part of the robot, and you're supposed to magnetize the the basketball and then shoot it into a hoop on the opposite side on your on generally how basketball is played you know with magnets yeah by by regular humans yeah which which you can see you you control Mm -hmm. uh in the game it looked a bit like ftl where you had to keep running between things to press the buttons Mm -hmm. um and and it's funny it's uh it's it's cute Mm -hmm. but I don't really know if the whole thing works as as solidly as as the sports facade might suggest. I can't I can't imagine people getting seriously uh invested in something that seems to be so very dependent on uh hilarious stumbles and falls and unpredict unpredictability. That's the word I'm looking for. Okay. Uh, the, it, the the robot controls themselves are very very sluggish. It's easy to lose track. In fact, I bet it's like a central gameplay mechanic to visually lose track of what points you're controlling as uh, you run your little character through through the stations. You you control a character controlling a robot. So uh, a lot of the challenge and the humor comes from the 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 multitasking of of that control scheme. But everything moves really sluggishly, unpredictably, and visually obtusely that after an hour of giggling, we just seemed to be getting frustrated with it, it looked like. It felt to me. That was the vibe I was reading in the room. Let's add a little bit of context here. Like there's there's times where it's really cool where Is this because you're playing you're watching like this why um, like Power Ranger, <laughs> Power Ranger, um, Zoid battle, you know, you can get under yeah. the player and then flip them over and they're on their backside. If they don't get up in time, you can make the basket, stuff like that. But we started to play online and there is only one person 
That was Flake Online. Laundry. A guy called Laundry. Laundry. Because he, he's taken out the laundry. <laughs> and let me tell you, he was the only guy, and we were two people against him, working one robot, and it was only him working his robot, and he freaking cleaned And it still kicked our ass. So there is a skill ceiling there. There, There is is the difference between good and bad players. I just don't know how high it is or how fun, which is the more important problem, it would be to get to Laundry's level. He is amazing. <laughs> and not not like, look, listen. Well, we don't to even give know. us credit, be, we did be... beat him a few times, okay? It, it, it could have been, been a girl. <laughs> we, don't, we don't know. I swear it was, was a he, developer. Wait, is and the he game was out the yet? only one playing the game oh, yeah, online. Yeah. If the, if the game is uh, was the game out when you guys were playing? Because I know we got review yes. codes thanks to those guys mm-hmm. who sent it to us. But I was gonna say if no yeah, one was it, online, it was just this one guy. Maybe he was the dev. <laughs> it came out on the first. It, there it was out for a couple of days by yeah. by the time we got to it. it. And it does make me a little sad that it didn't make a bigger splash. It, it has positive reviews on Steam, not very positive. There's only twenty three of them. And you can tell it was made with like a lot of humor, a lot of love, and like a, even even a sort of slickness to its presentation. But there's still not a whole lot there for a five dollar game. I guess it, yeah, yeah, it, it does. It looks and f- feels like a fun five dollar co op experience. But afterwards, we played the real deal instead, and boy, was that a night and day difference. Um. After laundry was taking us to the cleaners. Yeah, yeah. We, we got we space. rage quit after getting beat by laundry like <laughs> ten times in a row. <laughs> Even though we had the numbers advantage. And uh anyone who is aware of these two games and sees footage of regular human basketball is probably instantly gonna think of lovers in a dangerous space time. Another game that I did a super duper early in my career GDC preview of um, it finally, it eventually came out in 2015, and I never got around to playing the final build until just now. That night, there were three of us in there, um, and it was a grand-ass time. Just, just like in the last game I was describing, you play as a character controlling a giant robotic monstrosity thing. And in this case, it's a spaceship, so you don't have gravity. You already have uh, more degrees of movement. Um, instead of controlling legs and thrusters on a giant robot that has to fight against gravity to move, you control a single thruster that you rotate around the engine, and everything's real fast and responsive. It's super-duper polished. There's this really intriguing and fun-to-play-around-with upgrade system that uh, turns turns your regular spaceship laser turrets into fun things like wrecking balls and, and, and trap launchers. Mm. And the the aesthetics are are cute and adorable, and, and it has a sense of humor to it. <laughs> there's there's uh, hostages you rescue throughout the level, and and they're just called friends. There's a little counter in the corner of the screen that says "friends." You need five friends. You you need to rescue five friends to advance to the next level. And the fact that they call them friends is just cute and friendly and and positive and uplifting. And I I highly highly recommend it. Can't wait until we give it another go. I feel like me and the girlfriend, at least, if not me and Matt, have uh, found a new regular co-op game to be playing for the next few weeks. And it, it always feels good to see that happen on day one. It's, it's yeah. fantastic. So if, yeah. if you need, if you want a co-op thing, 
that's definitely one you should try. And don't put it on casual because casual is too easy. I remember. Yeah, we, we never got lower than like one-eighth of our health bar, did we? Yeah. Trust me, when, when you play on normal, oh my gosh. It's a different ball game. Everything has to be careful. Bumping into, um, you know, planets and all that, that's, that's, that's something you shouldn't do. <laughs> or you might die. Also, it's visually uh, elegant as well. Unlike basketball, you can keep track of what's happening on the screen. Yeah, it looks very clean. Very bold it's, it's a it's a beautiful design, beautifully visually designed game in motion. We we we've been playing more Monster Hunter. I I've I've fell into. It. You're farther than me. Yeah, you, you got okay. to a point so, you don't. Uh, Monster Hunter. It's so I started trying out different weapons. <laughs> Why because, with all the exhaustive size? I'm it, having it, fun. It's exhausting. Monster Hunter is exhausting. How is it not exhausting? <laughs> but it you must have to be literally fun. Fight a monster for forty minutes. That's true. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I mean, it's satisfying, but God, you know, you you have to make sure you love your weapon. Let me tell you. you mm-hmm. I'm supposedly like you were saying, George. You you're supposed to change your weapon. I changed mine from a hammer to a heavy, um, heavy bow gun, and I actually quite like it. Even though I have to farm for ammo so early on in the game, um, it's getting a little bit easier with uh, new ways to get kind of ammo. But you have to you have to farm it up, and that takes time as well. So there's more time farming, um, and then there's like this area where I reached that part where you you should probably upgrade to a, like a full set. You can't just get away with just upgrading whatever you have. Um, or or forging whatever you have in the armor smith, you 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 kind of have to grind a couple monsters out and get yeah, a full yeah. set oh, of gear. Um, oh god, and, like and that one set that you want really badly. Yeah, it, it's it's exhausting because you don't get those uh, materials that first time. You have to keep. Yeah, you're doing not guaranteed. It. Yeah, you have to keep going for that drop. And doing that by yourself, like we're playing before release. So people who play this on release, you're probably not going to have this problem. You're going to be playing with friends. You're going to be playing with randos, whatever. They're going to have fun grinding with you. But when you're playing by yourself, and if you're planning on playing this solo, it's exhausting. It's exhausting playing by yourself. It's not quite as fun, depending on what type of player you are. But uh, for me, um, I enjoy the game. Are you going <laughs> to try and play some more when... Farm, is when it's online say again are you gonna try and play some more when it's online and oh, play some course. more multiplayer? of yeah. course yeah I, i'm can, pretty sure can... i'm gonna have a drastically different experience yeah i think so too like i was late to recording today um so you guys grinded out some quests together right yeah it we was a main a quest, quest because yeah because it. i was ahead in the story so i could just join <laughs> this quest like you would think that you were you could do you know I'm still going to say that is probably one of the worst things that Monster Hunter did in this, this release. One of the it's worst the, the, the story co-op bifurcation. Yeah. So, and I was like, George, let's do this because it sucks doing this by yourself. <laughs> I, you know, you, you, this is where I ended up fainting a couple of times. I've actually failed the quest now. 
Um, which is not a bad thing. It's just Oh it's... no, you failed a quest once? <laughs> yeah, but when you're trying to grind out armor, it's like tedious, isn't it? It's like, oh, I just it's want this tedious. fucking drop. I don't want to die. I just want to do it. I don't like to waste 30 minutes. 30 to 40 yeah, minutes. It is a big commitment. Okay. The, the thing is, okay, uh, George, you haven't had this ex- uh, experience yet. Imagine fighting that same monster that we fought uh, mm-hmm. today. Mm-hmm. But it leaving near death. I actually have a story. For 40 minutes now. I have a story. Mm-hmm. I streamed the game with my three hours of permission given to me by Capcom on last Thursday. And I wanted to hunt an Anginanth. And it did that. After like a 30 minute chase where I felt like I was on top of things for the whole 30 minutes. I got a little pop up. And, and it did this during an expedition, not a quest, to be fair. I got a little pop-up saying, Anginanth will leave the area soon. And I was like, how do I know that? Like, for a game that has so many incredibly intricate systems that are specifically geared to immerse you into, like, a living jungle of AIs who react like, like you would expect actual animals to, that felt very artificial. It pulled me right out. And sure enough, after about five to ten more minutes of fighting, the, the thing just runs away into a tiny little puddle... And it, like, pours its head down and dives into this puddle that my monster hunter can walk on and and buries itself into the earth and leaves the map permanently. And I, I was so mad. Yep. Yep. But I'm going to do it. I'm going to keep it going. I mean... And, and see where I get. And one thing I wonder is, is maybe... It, if if you haven't gotten into the routines of like really optimizing yourself, uh, like like making sure you're always using your strongest combos and that you always eat food and always have everything upgraded all the way, because I've been playing a lot of the uh, DS version to practice, and a lot of time gets saved just by spamming the most powerful combo in the list with uh, whatever weapon is upgraded to your current point in the story, but. I noticed me dying a lot before I like really figured out the 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 methodology they want you to stick to, and I think you know though because you did say you gotta love your weapon. Yeah, you do. You do. George, what weapon are you using again? I studied the blade. I'm using the the <laughs> Japanese sword, the katana, the katana, and I I really katana. like it. It has a nice little uh, meter management uh, sort of meta game going on, and and a cool counter move that that looks cool and feels good to pull off. And when you build up that meter all the way and unleash your special, like ooh ooh, Matt, I think <laughs> we did it just now. I like screamed, "Holy crap! Look at all those numbers!" It's <laughs> <laughs> good. Yeah, it's good when and, everything works out right, you know. And and that one that we did did work out right. It didn't seem particularly worse than the ones I had been doing so far. It definitely took a little longer and seems like like a, a curve, an upward curve to the game's difficulty, but it didn't seem like a wall that you're describing. But I'm about to hit the part you're about to hit. You're you're one quest ahead of me, right? I can't wait for you to fight the next monster. Okay, I might be eating my words. What is the Which next is monster? stupid because the podcast it's, comes out in three it's days. It's the one where it's it's the red one. Um, that's <laughs> Diablo. It's down the below. It, it, it looks like a it looks like a reptile. No, like that narrows it down. Around. It's like below <laughs> the veil. Some, oh, like um, when you it starts with an O. 
Oh, 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 Charlie. Oh, 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 Brian. I know which one you mean. Oh, Riley. Yeah, yeah, that one. That one. Let me tell you. When I fought it first, one hit took all my health. Oh, but a little pinky left. Just a little, little toe. Kind of looks like a. Komodo dragon kind of thing. Oh, mm. oh, that's another thing. You really got to be making the most of your recovery items, too. Your Palico has an unlimited uh, Vigor Wasp that uh, you can set to. You also have unlimited uses of your healing stations. Yep. And once I got it's in the groove of using those, the game got a lot easier, too. I'm wondering, are, are, you, are you sticking to those gadgets? Are you mashing them out regularly? Mashing what out? Your, your healing station and your Vigor Wasp delivery. Vigor wasp, you can you can say mm-hmm. to to deliver you, one. You of those? can manually. It's a gadget. It's a special gadget that you have to assign to one of your slots. And I understand you missing it because well, that game's menus and that game's tutorials are way more convoluted than they could be. Uh, but yeah, there are two unlimited healing items that the game gives you for free that are buried in those menus that you can use. At around this part in the story, I know, I know that feel. Trust me, I, I felt that feel too. Oh my god, this game! <laughs> Why, like, someone needs to make like a YouTube video of all this crap that is just buried under the menus. Oh, there, there are plenty. Gaijin Hunter, Ariex Gaming. There's plenty. There's plenty. Rock Paper Shotgun's been putting out a bunch of guides too. They, I think they, I, I don't know if it's a regular staff writer or a freelancer, but they like have a a Monster Hunter expert on seasonal duty right now at Rock Paper Shotgun. And I read a few of the guides before I started playing yesterday, and and made an actual checklist of like things to do. Oh, before George, quests. what happened to to just manning it out, George? I, I'm what happens to I'm just not, manning not it out? What happens to not Monster looking up Hunter anything? Yeah, you're being Monster Hunter weapons. broke me. Holy shit. Being cold huh? out. Monster Hunter is just too convoluted for me to tolerate oh, really? my usual methodology anymore. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, just like with the poo particles. You're breaking me, Matt. <laughs> I knew you were going to give in because this is ridiculous. <laughs> it's ridiculous how it's much ridiculous. you miss. Yeah. <laughs> Wow. Uh, I mean, I'm I'm with you, but in in another side, another side of me is like, okay, it kind of makes sense in a in a weird way. I I I guess, man, those menus got to be there for a reason. I wonder. I just wonder what it is, what the internal logic behind behind some of this game's interface quirks are. You should just make one long menu and have like, <laughs> menu hunter world. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's good. Yeah, tried, tried really hard on that one. All right, uh, I guess that's that's all Monster Hunter talk for now because we're all exhausted <laughs> from playing Monster. <laughs> I'm gonna beat it. I'm gonna beat it. Damn it! It's gonna be. Fun. I had fun. I I I went. I slept for three hours. And then woke up and did the. I played Monster Hunter all night. Slept for three hours. Woke up and played Monster Hunter again minutes before we started and you, recording. And you still didn't get to that point of the story. How? I I had to go visit my mom over the weekend. I got to nice watch some cable segue. TV again. Uh, I. We did I'm, better. 
I only have one thing to say about visiting my mom over the weekend and watching cable TV, and that's that there are commercials now that are just for content updates of Pokemon Go. Boom, segue. And that's... I... I, I saw quite a few times while I was watching cartoons at, at the old folks' home um, a commercial that was just like a 10 to 15 minute segment that just displayed the Pokemon Go logo and the announcer said, it's time to trade. And that was it. That was the whole commercial. It was a commercial just for Pokemon Go being updated to include trading and that apparently is is valuable ad space on major cable networks. Hmm. Wow, what a weird time to be alive. I mean, it's making bank. I'm sure they Is can afford still? the adverts. I think it's making I, more I think bank they, now. They, br- they brought it back. Yeah, I think it's even making more money now. Because the people what? who are playing are like the hardcore players who would be willing to part with the cash, right? You know, when when it started with the boom, it was like everyone was playing, you know, the casual people playing. Now, like the people who've stuck with it, and the like, the large user base it has are like the hardcore people, so they're going to be the most willing to give money. Did they have cash shop stuff? They they always have. You you could you could pay for a pack of ninety nine pokeballs instead oh, of okay. walking around the that, city yeah. getting them yourself. Yeah. Yeah, I was wondering because they could have made a lot of money if they didn't have that before. I'm wondering what their numbers are. I saw I saw a tweet yesterday that was like Niantic are preparing for PvP towards the end of the year and it's like has that game only just got like what is the, the reason you actually catch the pokemon for coming to the game it's all collecting it's all collecting man. yeah as as devil's advocate it's all collecting has to some extent been a way to describe pokemon since day one yeah well there you go yeah pokemon. so uh liam you got you got anything else Ooh. Uh, no, I don't think so. I, I've been just complaining about Metroidvanias this weekend. <laughs> and that that's it. <laughs> Speaking of segues, oh. we got some complaining to do about people complaining, rightfully so, I believe, in this case. Though there might be a little argument. No about, way. No way. About a very, very distressing review of a very, very high-quality quote unquote quote quote metroidvania game after after these messages oh Welcome back Whoa. to the dad and son. This is the bunny hop podcast. Sorry, I ruined that. I, I'm just watching a gif of fireworks in reverse and it's 
blowing my mind. Have you ever seen GIFs of the cinnamon challenge in reverse? Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, no, but I'm Googling it right this instant. Oh, that's disgusting. Yeah, you, you just kind of got to imagine people like sucking clouds of, of red dust into all their orifices <laughs> in glorious slow motion. It is beautiful. Speaking of sucking, welcome to the news chunk. Um, our first uh, uh, piece dangling off of the big news chunk this week is a controversy over alleged plagiarism done by a uh, IGN reviewer for the Nintendo Switch review of Dead Cells. Um, a YouTuber who goes by the name of <laughs> Big Boomstick Gaming posted a video outlining just how similar his review is to the IGN review penned by Philip Myusen? How, how, how do you pronounce that last name? Myusen, I think. Myusen. Um, and it's, it's pretty damning. And in fact, it is so damning that the IGN reviewer heard, misheard what, what could have very well been a, a, a slip of the tongue to turn one of the sentences that, that is awfully incredibly similar to this guy into one that contains a factual error, yeah. which is kind of sort of a goof I made when I first tweeted about it. Like, there's, there's a lot of lines in this review that uh, sound... Very, very similar. I mean, I mean, the guy starts off by saying, uh, Dead Cells takes the progression of a Metroidvania and integrates it into this procedurally generated action roguelike. Uh, then meanwhile, IGN Phillips says, it takes the progression system of a Metroidvania and transforms it into a procedurally generated action roguelike. Which, to be fair, is a fairly generic description of the game and, and how it works in a, in a summary elevator pitch for a four and a half minute video review. But then later on, like... It they become uncanny. Yeah. Um. <laughs> so people should watch the comparison video that Big Boomstick Gaming posted, where he side by side puts his review and their review, and it's pretty damning. But then, like some people on Resetera posted the like verbatim line by line in text form, and then when you mm -hmm. read the them side by side, it's just like, dude. What the fuck were you thinking? Dead Cells only falters slightly with some repetition setting in, especially on the early areas and during longer play sessions, got turned into Dead Cells does falter slightly with some repetition, but it's only felt in its early areas and during extended play sessions. But there's, there's like some lines in here that weirdly became worse when, when going through the IGN alleged plagiarism translation like one of the best I, I don't know if this is verbatim i jotted it down as i was writing the video last night but um uh, uh big boomstick gaming says that the dead cells is more or less a, a line to the extent of one of the best representations of 2d combat out of the whole genre that philip turned into one of the best representations of video game combat i've ever seen Wow, I wouldn't go that Which far. Which is like <laughs> taking a very, very specialized, specific, narrow topic, um, which which you're supposed to do in 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 
journalism and news writing is is keep a, a specific focus a narrow focus for for your niche audience and turns it into this like hyperbolic generalized statement oh this sucks because this is exactly what they tell you not to do on like back in on the high school newspaper this is rule zero so it's weird because i think i think there are a couple i think there are a couple of levels to this so for anyone who doesn't know, and this is the thing, a lot of people got this wrong to begin with because this happened midday Japan for me today. So I saw it pretty much immediately as it happened. And someone posted saying that it was a freelancer for IGN. And then everyone sort of ignored no. it because it's like, oh, he's a freelancer. <laughs> yeah, someone just copied and got the money. Who's no. their Nintendo editor? He's their Nintendo editor. He is the host of one of their biggest podcasts, MVC, which is a podcast i listen i used to listen to myself when jose otero was the host um he's he's a big personality at ign he only joined late last year but you know since he's become the host of one of their regular most listened to podcasts um you know and he what you can clearly see is he comes from a background of video i don't think he's ever really been writing he's always been making videos like i think how he got the job was like via doing youtube stuff for his own channel and has now been put under the question of hey can you do this i don't know whether it's because either he didn't plan out how long he needed to write the review dead cells is a hard game and you not that you always need to finish games to review them he should have just asked for a delay delaying the review would look so much better than this this is like the one thing you do not do you do not plagiarize and it's surreal how i mean okay as of right now you know it's technically alleged but my god it looks plain as day so this is kind of like in your he's like a beginning stage type guy like he you don't know how to write reviews. You play the game. You have thoughts, but you can't put it into a a tightly formed five minutes and make it make sense. And it's only five. So you go on less the internet than five and minutes. you watch other reviews, and you say, "Oh, this no. guy's doing a really nice review." Um, uh, no. And it seats into your review, but no, this guy like plagiarized. Yeah. It's yeah, like, yeah. hey, this guy, this guy only has eleven thousand subscribers. No one will ever notice. I'm IGN just, gonna... just gave him a big boost. <laughs> yeah, like that's, that's play, I guess the silver play, lining to it. I watched his, I watched his dead cell reviews after it. And then I bought mm-hmm. the game. So, <laughs> so he, he had twenty five Twitter followers yesterday. As of now, Big Boomstick Gaming's got five hundred sixty six. What a what a shitty situation. I I I just feel like this is gonna make my job harder because this reflects on all of us. Yes, this is this is Ugh. exactly what I was gonna oh say. This God. is the problem because there are many, many, many people out there who do not understand that games journalists are not fucking bad people who get paid to do this shit. Like IGN is a victim in a way of his deceit. All those IGN personalities who get shit on a daily basis from people anyway now have uh, this as if, shit as if to deal with as well. They didn't have it bad in the first place yes and and, And now this guy's just made it worse for his own colleagues like what the fuck is he doing 
you can say what you will about IGN. You, you can fairly criticize them for all the problems of a big major media outlet having to churn content out to a regular deadline schedule with uh, writers who cannot afford to specialize in these genres that they that they have to crank through content with. But for what it's worth, like they are usually professionals. They're usually journalism graduates who who have to deal with the bullshit of the business, but still like more often than not do the best jobs they can with the shitty situation of this shitty industry they've been given and then there's this like this is the thing like i saw some people tweet about this and i and i wholeheartedly agree like people are like oh ign should have checked for this this went through an editor like how the fuck are ign and an editor meant to check this are they meant to watch every dead cells review on the internet to check that this hasn't been plagiarized when they have like 50 other reviews going live this week like IGN and everyone he works with has been as screwed by his by Philip's fuck up as you know Big Boomstick and everyone who read the review in the first place I I looked a little bit into the guy's education and background and it's I mean kind of a weird like hard to swallow story as well he he graduated from the university of california but actually spent most of his time at a a, a sort of much less prestigious community college getting his credits at, at palomar university um and i think graduated in 2014 got hired to ign in 2017 he was doing marketing for a uh, art materials company in between but from the little bit of video you'd be more familiar with him as a personality but from the little bit of a video like he gave the impression of a stand-up guy who like had a lot writing on this job in fact and it's only four and a half minutes <laughs> it's not even that hard what will be even more telling is how ign treat this because then their credibility is going to take a they, not they took it down well no but the no, the aftermath of this will be even more talented oh, because boy. their credibility is already taken a hit. If they decide to give oh, him another boy. chance and defend him and, and you know, basically spare him, their credibility is going to take a huge hit. But the problem is if they fire him, then he is never, ever going to work in video games ever again. No well, that's kind him. of the accepted penalty I've always been warned about yes. for plagiarism. Yep. Okay, when, when I was in high school, and this is why I compare it to something you learn on the high school paper, there was another kid in the class, someone whose name was extremely similar to mine, which made it even worse. Uh, this was around 2004. Um, Far Cry came out on the, the PC movements? earlier in the year. It came out a, a console version, Far Cry Predator, I think, was was the one at the time. Came out on the Xbox, if not later that year, then earlier in the next year. And this other kid had copied his review from GameSpot. And I spotted it and brought it up to the teacher. He, he got a bad grade. He had to redo it. You grass! It. You dirty little no, grass! No, listen. Li wow. Guess what he what said. Snitch. Guess what he told me afterwards. Cool. <laughs> he said... Of course it would be you who spots it. <laughs> Perfect response. Yeah, I know, right? Right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good.
Yeah, no, this is like the cardinal sin of the entire journalism industry. Whatever, whatever specialist, this is worse than like getting facts wrong. Because this means you're too lazy to even attempt and make that mistake. Ah! Oh, man. <sighs> that was really bad. It's not even like it. It's not even like his own YouTube channel. It's IGN. It's the biggest gaming outlet and possibly like nerd culture outlet in the world. <laughs> you're, you're their Nintendo editor. And you're just like, ah, I'm too lazy to review games. Too lazy to do my, my very cool for job. For a four and a half minute video for a... a I think um, some other journalists pointed out that the code had been distributed like a good two weeks early. And the video was only four and a half minutes long. Like, I wish I could do four and a half minute long reviews. You can hammer those out fast. A, a word count like uh, like, like that. I want to say for like a usual 15 minute script that I do, I have 1900 words for uh, four minutes. That would, um, hang on, let me get my uh, that calculator. Do it justice, because though. That I'm, four minutes I'm, I'm not a math brained person. This is the thing, like, I feel like like what has happened is the game has been too hard for him to review or for him to make any progress that he's panicked. That's 500, 600 words. That's like four paragraphs. You know, I think, like, he's panicked. He's like, shit, I'm not going to do this. And made a very stupid decision in the middle of the panic. And he's made an incredibly stupid decision. Just He's, delay. Ask the editor for a delay. That is, it's embarrassing, but it's so much better than resorting to literal losing plagiarism. Your job. <laughs> I've <laughs> I've written a thirty-minute review in in two weeks. Like, come on, come on, come on. I I remember when I was starting out the channel. I I watched some old videos from G Four. Adam Sessler did a little guide where. Oh, this is so much less insidious, even. Um, one of Adam Sessler's advice was to not watch other people's reviews at all yeah. until you put yours out. Oh, yeah. God, yeah. But, I mean, all... Okay, yeah. A, like, a good 60-75% of Boomstick made it into Phillips' review by by the judge of the timestamps. I... Uh, <laughs> this is, like, beyond... Oh. That was not an accident. He fucked up big so they've they've taken it down they they have not as of right now recording on august 7th 11 a.m eastern they have not i believe issued any statements about any further action they're gonna take but given standard practices i and the severity of of this scandal i would not be surprised if if philip does get fired if they entirely rewrite and re-release the review under a different uh reporter and <laughs> just hire boomstick god <laughs> I... his review was good just hire him <laughs> i mean his review was already their review hey <laughs> <laughs> just hire him to do his review oh my but... god can you imagine holy hey man crap. that would be, that would be a good way to own it yeah that would be a good way to own it i think you think so that would I, it I would don't... be it would be cute it, it would be, yeah, it would be cute. It would be I, don't, real cute. I don't know if it would totally... Do you know what makes this guy. one even more damning? Do you know what makes this one even more damning? Is usually, you know, uh, people get on the back of video game journalists for, you know, trying to defend or trying to help or trying to, like, see another side to it. But not only has this been that bad that a lot of them have come out and said, plagiarism is wrong, you shouldn't <laughs> yeah. do this. But people have written news articles about it. 
There is no collusion. No one is supporting this guy. This guy is fucked. (laughs) This is not a conspiracy theory. This is one person at IGN, which I guess is also another distinction that we should make. This is one person at IGN who very, very likely made a dumb decision in the middle of a dumb panic. And and the unfortunate fallout of that is going to be really hard to work through. I have a feeling it's going to make my job harder. It's going to make everyone in the actual game journalism industry's yep. job harder all automatically already. I wonder if there was more. I, I wonder if this is not the only time this has happened. I wonder if, you know, some of them have slid through the, the radar and maybe some of the other people have done this before and told them, like, yo, yo, this totally steals some, like... Like, you know, lowly guy who, you know, has like a couple subscribers, take his review real quick and you're good. You're solid. Well, the internet is is so big and, and social media has small voices um, be be promoted that you would, people would notice. Everything lives in an echo chamber. That, that kind of stuff doesn't get brushed under the carpet. It especially doesn't slip away nowadays. You know, recently IGN have, well, what's his name? Marty, Marty Sleever. He was like a big personality at IGN, and now he kind of disappeared, and then he now announced that he's leaving, and and, and loads loads of people on IGN stopped following him who worked there, and there's been that whole ordeal, you know, IGN haven't been having a good time of it recently, which is a shame, because there is a lot of stuff they do really well, and they have a lot of knowledgeable and interesting personalities there that... Now this is just going to cause more issues. <sighs> it's so funny. I think Boomstick, the guy who runs that Boomstick, has responded to this incredibly well. He's like, no hate, man, but I wish I was cited, collaborated with, or in some way compensated in some way for your healthy views your site saw on your Dead Cells I review. Just, I just love the line where he's like, and says in the most like, monotone, deadpan voice, it's uh, kind of flattering. I guess <laughs> IGN watches big boomstick gaming. Uh, anyway, anyway. Uh, next story of the world progressively getting worse or better. I guess there's multiple perspectives to this one. Fallout 76 has been confirmed to not launch on Steam. There's no word if it ever will, but in a uh, statement to PC Gamer when asked after their FAQ implied it, they have confirmed that the PC version for Fallout 76 for the beta and the launch versions will be available only via Bethesda.net, not Steam. Uh, And that's pretty much it. That's the whole story. However, the implications for that are really interesting and something that can be talked to for a long-ass time. And that's the the viability of Steam as a platform now in 2018 after all the shit it's gone through. That's uh, whether the trouble of a competing digital marketplace of storefronts that are trying to compete with each other and be better than one another is worth the trouble to the consumer of having to keep all these clients around, all of which put your your legacy game collection in jeopardy because there's no guarantee that that these games will be playable well, Fallout when not if an when game anyway, stuff goes so. away <laughs> and yeah it also paints a questionable picture about the future of fallout releases on steam there is a lot to talk about we don't have a lot of time let's try to quickly sum up everyone's opinion uh who who feels confident enough to go first <gasps> I think there are negatives and positives to this. At the end of the day, I think 
Steam take like what thirty percent on publisher? Thirty percent. So that's Which might be too much nowadays. That's 30% now that, that the Bez- digital market Bethesda, has become normal, who as the developers and the publishers of that game will not want to give away um, because they know they'll make bank on it. Mm-hmm. Two, you can add these games to your Steam list anyway, so it's like for players, you can just open Steam client, have it in the list, and then click on it, and it will open whatever application is on your PC. So I guess for players, it's like not that inconvenient. Uh, I have... But you'd have to... Asterisks. Yeah, there are asterisks to that. In my mind. Yeah, well, you have to go to a different place to buy it, and it's not as visible. And yeah, that legacy you thing. You forget the password. I forget the password a lot. Ever since I became a shitty internet celebrity, my passwords are really long and complicated. It's such a pain to manage multiple clients for me in particular. Maybe not other people. Not the normies. <laughs> yeah, not the normies, but my passwords got to be different. They got to be stupid, and it's a pain dealing with this shit. Yeah, and the legacy thing is what it is, you know having like i have an origin account that i haven't accessed in three years and i have like 12 games on there (laughs) 12 games i've purchased and owned that i completely forgot about because they're on another storefront i probably have an ubisoft account a uplay account somewhere with games on it that i don't even remember so i wonder how many humble bundles i have oh my god surprise like like I, when I reinstalled Origin to like play Battlefield One, and ended up getting sucked into a Sims Two code I didn't even know I had on that account because they gave them away to get people to install Origin, which is the bright side to the competition. Sometimes you get companies like Electronic Fucking Arts offering people really good deals. Uh, EA's on the house program has been discontinued now, but while it lasted, it was like a damn good time. Very uncharacteristic of the company too, because competition requires. Uh, people to be on their 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 best behavior and treat the consumers right. On the other hand, it doesn't feel right when you got to jump through extra hoops for the products you're buying. I think this will be good for the industry in the long term. We will suffer growing pains in the short term. Yeah, well, it's gonna be a big hit for Steam. I think more than anything. Yeah, it will get their ass back in gear, I hope. The optimist in me wants to think that this move, for a game I don't really care about that much right now, maybe if it gets good reviews on launch, Fallout 76 does not look like my kind of Fallout, Um, but maybe the popularity of this game will be enough for Steam to be like, okay, wait a minute, guys. Let's get Iraq together. Let's get serious. Let's let's have uh, specialized departments here. Let's let's outsource some customer service and some uh, some some curation process. Let's uh, try to market ourselves better to bigger publishers. Maybe give give them lower cuts. Although I don't like the implication of the favoritism. But now that digital marketplaces have standardized, that thirty percent cut feels a lot more significant than it would have in two thousand four. Uh, boxed PC gaming is no longer the norm, thus the deal you get on Steam as a publisher is no longer as sweet as it once was. And that's kind of the depressing reality of like making a big business. If you disrupt an economy, uh, you are very, very likely to eventually have your company become the bad guy as other competitors pop up and start using your influence to polish your own ideas and use them back against you. Um, and Valve has not adapted to that. They have not grown well into their their obscene profits. 
and maybe this will be a wake-up call to uh, get themselves back in gear. Like I said, that's the optimist in me. And either way, if they don't get back in gear, I think that the industry, if not consumers themselves, will figure out a better way to manage the clients. Maybe it'll consolidate into like a, a, a three to four company, unfortunately, like like a three to four. Okay, I'll be generous and optimistic. Three to five company oligarchy of digital marketplaces constantly competing with each other for better deals, which I think might be cool as well. So long as those companies are guaranteed to last an entire fucking well, lifetime, is, which isn't likely. Steam having, I'd like yeah. Steam having complete ownership of the entire market, you know? But but I'd like to have ownership over stuff I buy, and that's something that might be too much to ask for at this point in history. It breaks my heart. I I I there's a lot of stuff about this dystopia. I don't like you guys. Oh well. We'll have to wait and see. I guess it's fortunate that Fallout seventy six is a fallout I don't think I care that much about right now. Do you guys do you guys feel like no you're gonna be I might eager to i might try the beta and then just see what happens yeah no no npcs environmental storytelling only um um carrot on a stick loot grinder design Let, let's let's wait for reviews before going worse um so yeah that that concludes the news chunk we're gonna be moving on to the listener chunk uh you can uh contribute to um the the pile of um bits and pieces dangling into our inbox <laughs> if you send an email to dad and sons podcast at gmail.com uh with a question comment suggestion or feedback we're very likely to reply to it here on the show uh also send in your dad din submissions you can check our social accounts for instructions on that and without further ado let us let lucas e take us away a uh, listener by the name of Lucas E. asked, How do you feel about the saturation of the video game market influencing the way you look at new IPs and releases? I feel like everything gets so many high reviews that if I were to check on all games people tell me to play, I would be out of money and time. This leads me to be selective against everything new and kind of came out as a hater outside of everything that is from a developer or franchise I trust. I would like to hear your opinions on that and how you deal with the situation where people tell you to play everything and the only way for you to know what's worth buying is checking online and eventually spoiling your experience. Ah, yes. I, well, that's I a little have, cynical. I have strong opinions about this. <laughs> I have depressing opinions about this. If we go back, if we go back, like rewind the clock to the PlayStation 3, Xbox 360 generation in its prime mm -hmm. every year we saw the same series, the same games come out and have sequels, and we had an incredible saturation in the video game industry where we saw very little new IPs and very little in terms of interesting video games come out. Very, very frequently, it was the same Call of Duty games, the same Battlefield games, the same Assassin's Creed games, the same FIFA, Madden, everything. And they were the yeah, big AAA. Like 2009 yeah, to 11. No, it was like, bad yeah, time. it was like from when. Games got easier to develop for those consoles, and the, the, the online generation was right in the swing of things. We had very little in terms of interesting and unique titles, because the indie not development scene was not existing or popular. It was just that now is a lot easier to put your games to consoles or develop for platforms like Steam and stuff like that. 
So the saturation was incredibly bad. Whereas now, we live in an era where we've, like, well, I have talked about three different types of Metroidvania games that have all come out for multiple different platforms that you can pick and choose from depending on what is to your taste. We've had games like Celeste this year, Into the Breach this year, Monster Hunter, Dragon Ball Fighters. Like, we live in an amazing era for video games right now where people complaining that there is too much to play or too many games that get high reviews is just like, what the fuck is wrong with you? You don't have to play every game. But be thankful that there are tons of interesting and wonderful games to play right now that you can play. You're not sitting and waiting for your six months for your console to get a brand new interesting IP, like the next Uncharted game or something like that. Like, you can pick up a Switch, you can download Dead Cells, you can download Iconoclast. Like, last week we were talking about, you know, Monster Hunter and stuff like that. It's like, there are tons of interesting and wonderful games that cut into the saturation of the video game industry. We don't see so many Call of Duty games anymore. We don't see so many Assassin's Creed games anymore. And even then, they get buried in the fact that we just have tons of video game releases. Like, we've just seen Evo Pass this past week, and the Dragon Ball Fighter Z tournament was, like, one of the biggest in Evo's history. It had, like, 250,000 people watch it. And that game came out in January. And already it has, like, a thriving scene behind it and everything. Because it's a brand new, inventive, different video game. So I have the complete opposite opinion to Lucas in this regard. And I think it's a really good time for video games. I mean, is he saying that it's a bad time for video games? Yeah. I think he's saying it's a bad time for someone who feels overwhelmed by how many good video yeah. games are out right now like he says this leads me to be selective against everything new kind of coming out as a hater outside of everything that is from a developer franchise i trust well but that's like i i i, I, I matt, matt I, i'll, I, I'll I took, let you go i took that he's trying to figure out what games he's actually gonna like and that all the reviews are telling him that these are eights and nine but we live in a time where a lot of video games like the standard of video games, I think, is a, is a lot better now. It's a lot more mechanics-driven than cinematic-driven, like like during yeah. those bad times you were talking about. And I really like that. I like that, too. I, That's why we get games like Celeste that. and Into the Breach in the same year. It's not like where, you know, Super Meat Boy came out, and now everyone still talks about Super Meat Boy because it was the only game of that time that came out with incredibly ingenious mechanics and felt really good now we have like three or four games a year that have that high standard and i like that and if you compare skyward sword to breath of the wild i think it's very emblematic of the 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 trend that uh we're in right now and i i feel like my problem i do feel a similar anxiety to him and that is that um like, I don't even know if I want to get started on Persona, and I've always been wanted to forever, but you look at how many times it takes, how much time it takes to go through those games, and it's overwhelming. I've been um, holding back for Monster Hunter for the same reason. I got into it this year, <coughs> but I was so reluctant to in earlier years because they take so long, and they're good. They they have little inconveniences you got to put up with, but they're, they're good-ass yeah. games. They just, it just feels like games yeah. themselves are more of an obligation than, than a quick 
pastime. They're longer but you now. Can't, you They're can't way hold, longer than they have you been You can't before. hold other games to the standard of the fact that every other game is good as well. You have to just look at that game on its equal footing and like, this game is a good game. Yes, it will take longer than other games, but that's my own it's... choice. I can't complain that there are 10 other releases that month that are just as good that I want to play. It's it's a very confusing kind of anxiety. Yeah. I don't know if I'm explaining it well, but I think I'll sum it up with like me feeling like I feel like I ha- have no time to to fully catch up with vi- the pulse of video gaming itself. What is... And that makes me feel anxious and scared in a weird way. What is the Einstein like, theory like... of choice? What was it? Oh, that's beyond me, man. The anxiety of choice, like when you have too much. <laughs> Maybe that's what's going on. Maybe that's it. There, I... you're, you're spoiled for choice, so you don't even know where to start. Yeah, I... the anxiety of choice where you have too much choice, and then it, you become paralyzed by what to Oof. actually play or what, uh, what to actually do. Um, I, I, yeah, yeah. I, Matt, I, Matt. I would say if you're feeling for a genre and it's getting good reviews maybe try that one if you're, you're scared of spoiling your experience uh, i would say find some people maybe some youtubers that don't actually spoil too much or maybe just not watch the video and then minimize it you know and just i mean just oh, listen yeah. to it instead of watching it that's something yeah. that, that i do too yeah, um, absolutely yeah, like, like like you were picking on me earlier for Monster Hunter. Like, I typically black out a lot of pre-release media and go by a consensus of review scores, which means I'm a piece of shit who cares about the Metacritic rating. But I found it's like a nice spoiler-free way to, to know if I want to put a game on my to-do list or not. Um, and I think it's when you're people who work with in the industry in some regard, like we do a little bit. It's like the people you follow on Twitter... The people you interact with are people who either review games or they make content about games. And generally, when a new game gets released, there are tweets or there are updates or posts about said game. And you sort of get a feel for them anyway, without spoilers, usually, um, for stuff like this. So, like, for example, this week, you know, we've seen a ton of games come out. Dead Cells, Iconoclast, Chasm, um, you know... Like the Valkyria, PC Port the of Valkyria World. Chronicles Four demo has come out this week, and there are tons oh of God. stuff. And you generally get a feel for what is the best by what is getting the most conversation and stuff like that. Or someone you really respect is like, "Whoa, you should check this out." And if and you generally favor, looking tasty, yeah, it's looking real and, good. And when you favor their opinion, just go with what they they say. So, uh, speaking of games that are looking tasty, uh, Crazy Jerry Mouse got a question for us. He says, will Kojima and his game Death Stranding be the new John Romero in Daikatana? Since Kojima is somehow making his fans his bitch, I can't help but see some parallels. A genius with all the trust of the world from their publishers constantly praised his auteurs. It's uncanny. Not that I want the game to fail, but this enigma of a game is just not giving off the right vibe. I want it to no. fail. Yeah. I want you I want, want it, it to fail. To burn the hell. Are you are you being a sarcastic shit boy <laughs> yeah. right now? Yes. I am squinting very hard into my microphone <laughs> across the studio. I, I suspect a bit of sarcasm. sarcasm. I, I just I just could imagine the whole game being him walking around as a mailboy 
and everyone just loving it, just freaking like, oh, this is the best game. Oh my god, <laughs> you know, just freaking going nuts. <laughs> I laugh, but I can see it too. I don't know if I can see it because John Romero doesn't have as good a track record as Kojima. John Romero didn't have the time or the budget to really polish up his oratorial works of art. That, I don't uh, think John Romero ever thought of himself as an auteur anyway. Yeah, I mean, I think the John Romero Daikatana thing, like that just struck me as like a marketing gimmick, yeah, not a serious Like it was a marketing gimmick. That was like, hey, John Romero made Doom. Doom's pretty popular. How about now, you know, a kick-ass game like Doom, John Romero, the kick-ass creator of it, the guy with the long hair who would crush your face in. Like, let's make the marketing To be fair, he's got a great attitude, and he's a great dude. Yeah, he's a lovely dude. But that whole marketing campaign is something that I'm sure he himself kind of regards as embarrassing. And that's the thing is, like, yeah, no one was thinking Daikatana was going to be the best fucking game of all time. It was just going to be a game that was going to kick your ass. <laughs> and it's going to make you his bitch. Whereas, yeah, Kojima is in a different realm. Kojima works with, yeah. you know, actors. He works with Hollywood producers. He is also a weirdly... <laughs> also, big difference. Unlike John Romero, Kojima actually has made us his bitch. Yeah, we've been falling for the the Death Stranding vibe for years. The Ruse since 2002. We've been falling for that shit for years now. So, I don't know. I think the comparison, while technically valid and logically valid, is a bit unfounded and unfair when you look at the particulars of each individual situation. I think there are a lot of auteurs in video games, but Kojima is like this weird almost Hollywood level that no one else is. It, And that's way different <laughs> than, than Romero's career. Like that was like one of the four level designers who brought you doom versus like the guy who led the entire fan base of a major incredibly anticipated sequel astray for like a good two to four game stretch with uh, shocking twists and turns that genuinely shocked people for genuinely good games of genuinely high quality. So his track record is is, is better there. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if, uh, if, if it's the same situation when you, when you get down to the nitty-gritties. Well, there you go. There you go. Uh, uh, there, there we go. Melboy. Uh, with that... We gotta, we gotta fly away. I, I, let's I, I, fly, I, I, let's fly away. Fly away. Dress shirt and tie. Fly to your job Temporary in California. Where we okay, wow, wow, wow. We're not off the mic yet, guys. Um, so, <laughs> if you'd like to follow us, follow us uh, on social no, we never say that, do we? <laughs> no, we don't. Oh my god, is Matt pimping the show? We just tell people to email That's us. That's the first time Matt's ever... You know, check us out on the, the Twitters. Matt at MattVisual. Repping his... <laughs> Matt at Matt.com. Repping, yeah, repping so his long. one tweet a month quota. <laughs> oh my god. I really do need to tweet more, don't I? Matt and his one tweet a year quota. Oh my god. <laughs> 
You can find Stream George Monster Hunter. People will watch it. You can find George streaming Monster Hunter for three hours exactly before Capcom's FBI kicks his door down at Super Bunny Hop on Twitter. Um, that's true, I guess. And you can find me taking credit for George's videos on the internet at Liam BME. And and I won't mind that at all because you deserve it. No, it was all you, man. High five across the internet, across the studio. Oh, I'll. I'll... I'm I'm in there late. There, there Matt, we go. get out of here. Hey, hey. <laughs> no, <laughs> stay. Have a party. Play some uh, regular human basketball. He used to go to work, George. Jesus.